Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. What's it take for an independent bookstore to open and stay in business? Today we talk to indie bookshop owners about how they started and how they keep serving customers. Despite Amazon controlling more than a half of, of the market for print books and at least three quarters of publishers' ebook sales. Data show indie bookstores give more to the community and host more local events than those corporate chains. Now, where do you buy your books? What's your favorite indie bookstore? Coming up, we talk to People Get Ready Books in New Haven, and we hear from Roxanne Cody, who owns R.J. Julia Booksellers in Madison and Middletown. She's also the CEO and founder of a subscription service, Just the Right Book. That's coming up later. First joining us on Zoom is Kamani Harrison, owner of The Key Bookstore, an Afrofuturistic bookstore in Hartford. Kamani, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me. Good morning, guys. I understand you're a UConn grad and you graduated with a degree in environmental engineering. So tell that us when fair. you when you decided to open a bookstore. Um, it was towards the final years of, of me at UConn. Um, I, I started to learn about my history and the books were just so life changing that I knew I wanted to incorporate that into my life. Um, and being a vehicle of getting these books to people um, around me. So when you decided that this is what you wanted to do, you know, how, how did your family and friends react, Kamani? Um, honestly, I'm more of a, a shower than a talker. Um, I'm, I'm about what I say. Um, it, it was some people kind of like in the business industry that thought I, I that wasn't a smart idea. Um, but little did they know like bookstores are back on the rise and I saw that so here we are so your shop was established in 2018 and I mentioned uh, it's an afrofuturistic bookstore so can you explain come on afrofuturistic so I started key bookstore in a way of engaging um more more so online than brick and mortar Um, I didn't even have a brick and mortar back then when I started. I started out um, doing pop-up shops all over the place. I popped up in New Haven, in Waterbury, um, in Boston, Baltimore, um, New York, everywhere. Um, And I saw that, unfortunately, around that time, a lot of bookstores weren't very engaged online, like Instagram. Um, I don't think TikTok existed back then. (laughs) But uh, I felt like that's where the people are. And um, how do we connect them to this wonderful um, print uh, content, uh, you know, as well as audiobooks and whatnot. But it was really about getting the books to the people back then. You say getting the books to the people. You also accept crypto and NFTs, Kamani. Heck yeah. <laughs> so uh, we we create NFTs. Um 
don't exchange them for books mm. quite yet. But yes, we do accept crypto for books. So tell me about your customer base uh, for those who are um, using crypto. I mean, is that a significant part of the people that you're serving or a small percentage? Um, interestingly enough, it's um, kind of up there. Uh, I, I don't know exactly mm -hmm. what percentage, but um, the fact that people feel like they can exchange crypto for something that they see of value, um, which is our books, is really fire. And I'm so proud to be able to offer that. But it's it's we're growing in the crypto space mm -hmm. for sure. You're hearing Kamani Harrison again here on Where We Live, owner of The Key Bookstore, as we talk to indie bookshop owners about what it takes to start and keep their businesses going. You can join us. We know there are many indie bookstores in our state. So, Kamani, you told us that you started online first back in 2018, and then you opened a brick-and-mortar bookshop in Hartford in 2020. And we all know 2020, the, the year of this <laughs> pandemic that uh, yes. still is plaguing us. But, but tell me about that decision and how that um, was received by the community. Hmm, it was more so um, out of need. Uh, I think anybody on this call knows the logistics situation of the industry as a whole. And um, I wanted to take control of, of um, the logistics experience for my customers. Um, and also like be able to really integrate more branded content. So even if they do have to wait for their books, they're getting, um, you know, special bookmarks or uh, promotional coupons or anything to just really stamp key bookstore into their brains and into their, their hearts. Mm -hmm. And that's smart because that gives a, a even a deeper connection uh, with your customer and then instead of just uh, shipping off a book that they're interested in. Exactly. And we got even more stuff coming exclusively if you buy your books um, through Key Bookstore and being able to have an interactive um, experience with our books. So that's coming soon. And it has to do with NFTs and all that. Mm. As I mentioned, uh, you started online, uh, and uh, I guess a lot of entrepreneurs are opening online first. We heard from Shira Tarantino, who launched Pink Wave Books and Cafe uh, just uh, this January. She told Where We Live she's looking for a brick-and-mortar space offering intersectional feminist books, but also gifts and coffee, and a really unique experience for anyone who enters. She's also one of many bookstore owners to have no or minimum inventory holding costs by selling through bookshop.org, which is the Amazon for indies. So, Kamani, you also sell on Bookshop. How's that been? Um, I don't sell on Bookshop, actually. Okay. Uh, my my whole experience is totally independent. Um, built our website. Our website has over 30 million titles on it. We do use Libro um, for audiobooks and um, forgot the other one, Must. I forgot what the other one is for ebooks, but um, that's also connected to other independent bookstores. Mm. And so, has it been profitable for you, Kamani? What are the challenges? Um, the I mean, profitability comes in waves um, throughout the year. Having a specialty certainly helps. Um, Black history is is our history, and um, there's a time for it all throughout the year. 
we just had Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Day in January, and then now this is literally Black History Month, so uh, we tend to see a, a nice spike right about now. Mm. Um, but you asked about profitability, and then you asked yeah, how it's going. You know, what have been the challenges for you? Oh, the challenges! Oh, the challenges! <laughs> so. Yeah, just it being a pandemic and logistics. And I mean, people are learning to be more patient with waiting for their products to come in the mail. That's been quite the nightmare. Um, and then technology as well. Um, it is not easy to be, build a totally independent bookstore website. Again, 30 million titles. Anybody that knows websites like um, having that many products on a website uh would be difficult to do. And so finding the talent to be able to do that and execute this big dream of an interactive bookstore has been tough. Because there's uh, so much out there, you know, what is it that you're offering that's unique? Uh, who would you say is your target, Kamani? I would say, I, I would say um, those that want to see the, the industry um, move forward, um, move forward and also sustain itself. Um, I feel like I'm integrating this technology in order to more efficiently reach more people and be able to broadcast titles that um, you may have never heard of, but might be the key to literally exactly what you're looking for and be open to that and to be patient with growth. So I say those that are truly interested in the um the innovation of the industry as a whole. Hmm. Some of my listeners uh, may want to hear you offer up some recommendations, but you're guarded about that, Kamani. And tell us why, because you want people to come to you and to your shop uh, to hear how you will curate for them. Is that right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, we also do this thing called book bundles. Like we have a mini crypto um, book bundle that has some titles on learning about blockchain technology and what is an NFT and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the titles are, are precious to me and uh, sacred in a way because they changed my life um, and they can change yours too. And as we just saw, another book get banned. Am I wrong? Um, yep. This yep. The, Just saw another book get banned and um, that's not what I'm here for. So um, this is why independent. And then a lot of people love to take recommendations and then go back to Amazon. That's not what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. So show up to the independent bookstores and spend your money if you love books. And the way that your, your customers have changed uh, in the last few years, Kamani, can you tell us about that evolution? Yeah, I never in a million years. It's uh, so interesting. You know, they tell you how to do a business plan and describe your ideal customer or whatnot. And who, who would think the profile would completely change? So um, when I got started, I was popping up at a lot of Black created spaces, um, Black Wall Street in New Haven, Connecticut, um, a lot of um, Black, especially um, merchant markets back, back then. Um, and now, as soon as um, the George, George Floyd case happened, um, a lot of people started looking for anti-racist specifically literature. So not necessarily our, our focus like black history 
or Afrocentric materials, but literally how not to be racist or how mm -hmm. to um, influence against racist infrastructure. And um, so with having those titles and curating titles like that for uh, customers seeking that, we gained a whole new clientele that um, is quite diverse. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, that's good to hear that you've expanded your reach. And we can tell right. just by hearing from you, Kamani, that this is more than just a business to you. Uh, it's personal and you have a, a, a mission. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, the business changed you and you want to help people um, access uh, books and expand their horizons as well. Absolutely. Like, I feel like knowledge truly can connect us in in deeper ways. And I love that. Well, I really appreciated hearing from you, Kamani. Congratulations uh, for your success. Uh, uh, again, as an indie uh, bookstore owner, Kamani Harrison, owner of the Key Bookstore in Hartford. James called in from Hamden and just wanted to share bookstores are community centers. And that sounds just right. Kamani, thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. We're talking about indie booksellers. Several have opened in our state in 2020, like Title IX, a bookstore in New London, Athena Books in Greenwich, and Wordsmith Bookshop opening this May in Simsbury. Owner Megan O'Connor told Where We Live, I posted my dream of opening a bookstore in a couple of Simsbury Facebook groups. I got over 700 responses in 24 hours. Everyone was overwhelmingly supportive and excited. My husband and I have some savings. We borrowed against our home to purchase the building. We're also going to be launching a Kickstarter campaign in the next few weeks. Good luck to you, Megan. Connecticut's home to 29 indie bookstores. That's according to the American Booksellers Association membership database. More after a short break. This is where we live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking to independent bookstore owners about their shops and how they're engaging with customers and the community. Producers Sujatha Srinivasan asked the American Booksellers Association, also known as ABA, to list the top five trends for indie bookstores in 2022. And the ABA shared that trends to follow include an increase in the number of BIPOC-owned stores, an increase in the number of stores owned by black women, continued experimentation with store formats. So like we heard from Kamani Harrison, new models like pop-up stores, mobile stores, and fluidity between these formats, and stores moving from brick and mortar to online, then to pop-up or the other way around. Joining us now to talk about the model that works for them, on Zoom with us, Lauren Anderson, co-founder of People Get Ready in New Haven. Lauren, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, how did you decide, okay, this is what I wanted to do, and tell us about when you launched your physical store. Yeah, sure. Um, so in some ways, uh, having what I call it like a book space or shepherding one has been a lifetime dream, sort of like a cross between a community reading room um, and an independent bookstore. And, you know, we got started officially in um, 2019 and like some other places, you know, began with pop-ups that were thematic, actually. Our first one um, we did off-site at New Haven's uh, Pride 
uh, block party. <laughs> and uh, it was really wonderful with a sort of a thematic set of books partnered with um, with Glisten um, and featuring the, the Rainbow Library for K-12 students. And um, our next one was around Indigenous Peoples Day and really featuring and uplifting the work of Indigenous authors and also resources, especially for educators and families who want to kind of read in ways that support young folks to, to deconstruct, deconstruct um, some of the mythologies about uh, American uh, history. And, um, you know, we, we weren't necessarily um, intending yet to be open, but there was such an overwhelming response that the space we were popping up in, we decided to have Sunday open hours. And we started with Sundays because um, it's a day when local library branches in our city um, are closed. Uh, we have a really fantastic library in um, New Haven system, but you know there aren't necessarily places on those days um, for people to just come and hang out and be with each other and be around books. And our plan was to um, you know, expand to more regular retail kind of hours in April of 2020. <laughs> so <laughs> that, we, know, um, we know how that know, goes, right? <laughs> yeah, that didn't really go as planned. Um, and we had to make some pivots on account of that. Um, but, um, and we, we've kind of been shifting in space since then and, you know, recently had a bit of a facilities issue. So we've, we've been in transition and using things like our website and, um, and other options, curbside pickup, uh, local delivery to help get books to uh, community members, primarily in New Haven, but also um, far beyond the cities. We heard boundaries. from on Instagram, we heard uh, from uh, someone who wrote that people get ready. Books is our favorite. It was so awesome. They remember the virtual read alongs at the beginning of the pandemic and have always loved your local events and, of course, your book selection. So that might that must make you feel good. It does. Um, yeah, it feels really good. We actually did. Um, I did 90 uh, consecutive <laughs> read alouds starting the first day that um, school was canceled um, in you know, the spring of 2020. And it became sort of like a lovely online meeting space for families who were like, you know, just looking for a humble, regular morning routine. And I think, I think that's a lot of what community book spaces ideally do is just um, as much as possible, stay nimble and respond to local need as it arises. Um, and I think, you know, people have responded really positively to that. When you talk about uh, just responding to the community and ways to be more accessible, that also included bike delivery? <laughs> it did, yes. Um, we got a book bike with some messenger bags on it and, um, and road bikes around the city delivering books during the pandemic and, you know, and, and still do, although I have to say weather like what we have right now means some of those deliveries are not actually by bike. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that some of what got mentioned already is just this sort of countercultural effort to slow things down and to, you know, a lot of what happens really quickly in terms of fast capitalism comes at great human expense. And, um, you know, I think that I've really learned through this process that people are willing to sacrifice a day or two 
um, in terms of the time between ordering a book and receiving it. If it means that they feel like they're contributing to the local economy, if they feel like they're giving to a business that's giving back to community, mm -hmm. and if they feel like what they're doing is friendly to the earth and to people's health and well-being. And in that sense, I think a lot of folks who ordered books delivered by bike really felt like, um, you know, they were part of a, a sort of like slow food, slow books, <laughs> slower books, I guess, um, uh, effort that just had a lot of positive benefits. And some of your collaborations that people get ready uh, with local community groups uh, really show your business model, you and your co-founder, mm -hmm. helping New Haven teachers, uh, stocking a seventh grade library, uh, having bilingual books for resettled refugees, being involved in Elm City Lit Fest. You're hearing again Lauren Anderson, co-founder of People Get Ready in New Haven, as we talk about or talk to indie booksellers about uh, what it's been like over the last several years. Uh, John's calling in from Torrington. John, what did you want to share? Oh, uh, yeah, I just opened up a bookstore, Howard's Bookstore in downtown Torrington, uh, primarily used books, but we're open to the public seven days a week. And, and what has it been like for you? How are, how's the community responding to your shop, John? Well, uh, you know, Torrington uh, is, is like many uh, downtown um, Connecticut cities that have their own economic struggles. But uh, the interesting thing is a combination of things. Um, we're on the southernmost point of academia, actually. And so it's a very highly educated population and a population that loves books. And then in my view, you know, because of COVID, um, there's been sort of a deepening of the American soul and also time on our hands. So people have gone back to reading and, um, there's just a certain group of people that like to have a real book in their hands, and that's my customer. <laughs> and that's me too, John. I'm going to have to check out your shop. Thank you for calling in from Torrington. Uh, here on Where We Live Again is Lauren Anderson, co-founder of People Get Ready in New Haven. Did you want to respond to what John shared with us? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's absolutely true. It's funny. I um, I also am on the board of the New Haven Free Public Library. I love books. And one of the questions people would ask is like, you know, what's the future of the book? As if books are going to go away because of screens. And I do think that in general, people still love to hold a book in their hands. There's no real replacement for that. We get a lot of content through other um, mechanisms, but I think the appreciation for a book and for gathering around a book is as strong now in some ways as it's ever been. And I think a lot of the, the social and political events of the last few years have really underscored for people the long overdue need for hard conversations across differences and the ways that books can really become vehicles for connection. I mean, Kamani talked a little bit about that already, you know, just this idea that they're both mind expanding, but they're also potentially at least community building. If you situate them in spaces where people can come together and kind of read something in common or share things that they've read with one another to enrich um, conversations that really have to happen and that are incredibly uh, difficult and again, long, long overdue. I mentioned uh, bookshop.org to our other guest, Kamani. She doesn't use that, but you do. So tell me about when you direct customers there and how you continue to personalize their experience, Lauren. That's a really good question. So Bookshop is a B Corp that sort of supports 
Um, independent bookstores, it's an online fulfillment partner. And so when you have a bookshop storefront as a store, you can direct customers to it or they can find you through bookshop. And um, if they order from that site, then you as a bookstore um, receive a portion of the proceeds of that sale, but not um, not having to really do any of the labor involved in that. And so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a nice supplemental stream of income for a bookstore. It certainly doesn't replace right, the kinds of things that we're talking about that are primary to our mission about community, about serving community and about holding space for people to gather. Um, in terms of making things personalized, I think, you know, any bookstore has to think about um, its messaging uh, the kinds of things that it features. Um, so for, as just one example, we talked about the uh, read alouds that we did during the pandemic and all of those are available in a sort of scroll for people to look through on Bookshop. So, um, you know, some of the, some of the specific uh, focus of the store and the things that it wants to hold up and uplift um, are, are reflected are reflected there. And I will also say just that like, you know, when a bookstore like ours faces a challenge um, as we had with a facilities issue and some need to relocate, it's actually quite supportive to have a fulfillment partner that can keep you kind of going in, a, in one way while you recoup. Um, so uh, it's been in general, a really uh, nice and supportive uh, additional stream mm of revenue. Uh, we're almost out of time, Lauren. I, I know that People Get Ready also makes a point to showcase local Connecticut authors. You've also hosted them. Uh, can you name just a couple for us before we head to break? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that. So um, I'll mention uh, two, just because we have events coming up with them. Uh, Winsome Bingham has a beautiful new book out called Soul Food Sunday. Winsome's from the Ledyard area in Connecticut. Um, it's a gorgeously illustrated book um, and it's gonna be featured at a wonderful event happening middle of the month, February 12th, uh, Sankofa Learning Center, which is um, a local organization, uh, Afrocentric Montessorian <laughs> school being developed by a friend of the store, Amelia Ellen Sherwood, um, is hosting a Black History Month event. And Winsome's book will be featured there. There are also other groups in Connecticut like the Middletown Racial Justice Coalition, that are going to be reading it together with some folks later this month. And we're so excited uh, to support a book like that and a local author like, like mm -hmm. Winsome. And then also um, a, a new book coming out or just came out actually on Tuesday, Each of Us a Universe um, by Jean Friolo and Ndengo Gladys Muello. They co-wrote a book um, and the proceeds, some of the proceeds of the sales of that book are going to be in support of Iris. Gladys herself is a resettled refugee um, Jean is someone who's worked with Iris long term. And, you know, we really are excited to support that book because of all the things it represents. It's a story, a middle grades novel about a friendship between um, two young women, but it's also a co-authored mm -hmm. text that speaks to issues that um, folks in our community are really facing. Um, well, and thank and so, you. Thank you, Lauren Anderson, yeah. for those recommendations. Uh, you, again, Lauren is co-founder of People Get Ready New Haven. Such a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for your time today. 
Thanks so much. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. We talk about um, how indie booksellers stay open. There are also some fundraisers underway underway currently to reopen New Haven's never-ending books and to keep Bennett's books in Deep River open. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk with Roxanne Cody, who's been in the book business for 32 years. We find out how she continues to adapt to customer needs, including her subscription service, Just the Right Book. More after a short break. This is Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking to independent bookstore owners in our state. Joining us now on Zoom is Roxanne Cody, founder of RJ Julia Booksellers and CEO and founder of Just the Right Book. Roxanne, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Lucy, for having me on. Uh, producer Sujata Srinivasan uh, had listed that Barrett Bookstore in Darien and Breakwater Books in Guilford, also Elliott's Books in Northford and Hickory Stick Bookshop in Washington Depot are all 50 years old or turning 50 this year. Your shop, RJ Julia, is about 32 years old. So talk right. about your longevity and how you've been able to adapt. There's been a lot of uh, bumps along the way, right? When we think about well, how the book yeah, market. Yeah. <laughs> big bumps. You know, I would say um, it takes a combination uh, of things to have um, lasted this long. One is agility, um, you know, this capacity to pivot. Uh, the joke I sometimes make when we opened was when Barnes and Noble started their, you know, 500 store expansion. And then shortly after it was followed by Amazon opening. So I keep describing it as an eight inch pie that just has more forks. Mm. Um, But the thing that has made it work are two critical things. One is our community. Um, You know, we have two stores, one at Wesleyan in Middletown and one in Madison. And, you know, I consider our job to put the right book in the right hand and to provide an experience when they come in to the store that, you know, has that ability to get lost and, you know, hang out and and discover a book. And so that that partnership with the community 
has been key. And the second element is our staff. Um, You know, I often say to our staff, where do you get to have a job where you have the possibility of changing somebody's life? You know, and we get customers in where it's a child who's just learning to read or or, uh, a a person who just got divorced or lost someone or is starting life over. And, you know, they're looking, looking for a book to help them uh, in that way. And our booksellers are incredible at making that happen. So I I think those are the three things. You've got to be very adaptive and you have to be really serving your community in order for that to be a partnership. And then you need to take care of your staff. Mm -hmm. I understand that margins for indie bookstores are notoriously thin. So when we think about rent and payroll costs, also the price of books and even credit card fees. So what's the financial formula for success, Roxanne? Well, I think the average bookstore in the country loses 2%. (laughs) So, you know, I was in finance in New York. This was, you know, um, this is not the most lucrative. But I do think... Um, it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. And um, some publishers have worked hard to help independents. But I think it means, you know, the challenge is that we can't pay people the way very profitable other private sector companies pay. So we're attractive to people who are attracted to the work. And and we do the best we can. I try really hard at RJ Julia's to make sure that we're paying people the most that we can pay. Mm. You mentioned your employees. I believe you have 50 across Madison and Middletown. Can you share what your payroll looks like in the challenge? Any challenges well, making it during the pandemic? Uh, yeah. So our payroll is over a million dollars a year between the two stores, which when the pandemic started and we had to shut down in March of 20, um, I was, I, I'm a person relatively calm. I was in a full blown panic about how I was going to keep 50 people employed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was pretty terrifying uh, to think about. So there were three things that helped us get uh, through it. One is we realized that we had an opportunity to bring three things together. Um, We understood schools shut down. Um, A number of kids that were on school lunch programs would not have access to books. We realized that our customers who could were trying to figure out what they could do to help others in the community. And we started a fundraiser uh, along with Senator Chris Murphy to raise money so we could hand out free books a- as families were picking up lunches. We ended up raising close to $200,000 and distributing um, over 10,000 books in Middletown, Bridgeport, um, and New Haven. And that helped us pay our payroll and it got free books out. So it was and it was our staff willing to uh, do the work. So that that got us through. And then, you know, the federal programs did what they were supposed to do. We applied for what's referred to as the Triple P program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we qualified because, you know, we lost over half our sales in about two seconds. 
So that helped take care of our payroll. And then when we could open in June, we encouraged our customers to do business with us in any way they wanted. We created a pickup window that's adorable. Uh, We beefed up our website. Uh, We limited the number of people in the store. And they they really helped us out. And so... We also used, uh, there's a work share program that Connecticut had. We used that um, to some degree. And so Higgly Piggly, um, our staff, and we didn't furlough anybody uh, that wanted to work. And uh, we kept all our staff employed. That's great to hear. You're hearing Roxanne Cody here on Where We Live, founder of RJ Julia Booksellers and CEO and founder of Just the Right Book. Let's talk about this subscription service that you founded, Roxanne, uh, how it has uh, fluctuated even before the pandemic and what you saw, uh, what you're seeing currently. Yeah. So what I realized is about 10 years ago, when I was trying to think about other models to make the store financially viable. I realized what we know how to do, as I said earlier, is to put the right book in the right hand. And so what Just the Right Book does is rather than Book of the Month, which sends sends the same book um, to everybody, what we do is you go to our website, Just the Right Book, and uh, you subscribe, and then we send you a preference form. And then we actually have uh, Brits, uh, the head of our customer service. She works with our booksellers in Madison who have like collectively hundreds of years of experience. And we send you a book um, that's based on your own interests. So we've had thousands and thousands of customers. A lot of times people send it as a gift, like, they send it to their mom or dad that loves to read. They send it to their, you know, it's the cutest gift to if you're a grandparent or an aunt to send to your newborn niece, nephew, or grandchild. And they get a book a month. So it's got, you know, the old school that comes in the mail, all gift wrapped. Uh, it's got an element of surprise. And we have just a gazillion letters from customers that say, oh my God, I would have never picked that book out. It was perfect. I loved it. Mm. So it's it's a very satisfying um, part of our business. I mean, the whole business is satisfying. Just being a bookseller um, is an incredibly satisfying um, way to have a career. I understand um, currently 20% of your sales come from just the right book and your website combo versus just 1% pre-pandemic, Roxanne? That's right. Uh, That's right. So um, our Liz Bartek, who's our marketing manager, managed um, to very quickly fortify the RJ Joya website and customers realize that they could do business with us online and they would go to our website before maybe to look up, you know, we pre-pandemic do did 300 events a year. So they would look for that. But customers now understand that they can buy books from us for whatever mood they're in. They can text us. They can email us overnight. We'll have it ready in the morning. They can buy online. They can subscribe to just the right book. And I think what we've learned is People want to, you know, get a book in the way they want to get it that minute. One minute they might want to come in the store and hang out and talk to our booksellers. 
And the next minute, they maybe they're listening to Connecticut Public Radio and they hear about a book and they want to buy it and they can text us, hopefully not while they're driving. <laughs> um, but so, you know, that's what we need to do. We need to be responsive to how they want to work with us. Nice. We just have a couple of minutes left, Roxanne. And to your last point, uh, I know you read a lot of books. So what's one that you recommend that listeners can pick up at their independent bookshop? Uh, So there's uh, one that I want to mention. It's a new big book. It's called In Paradise. Um, And it's by Hanya Yanagara. She had written Little Life. And it's, it's a 700 page book, but it's worth reading. And then the other book I want to mention um, is a book by Claire Claire Keegan, um, and it's called The Small Things. And it's a it's almost a novella, but it's about a very important issue set in Ireland in the eighties, and it's about how we as citizens need to be brave and pay attention to our community. And I think in today's world, that's an important message for all of us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for those recommendations. Roxanne Cody, founder of RJ Julia Booksellers, CEO and founder of Just the Right Book. She's been at it a long time, more than 30 years. A pleasure to have you back on the show. And of course, uh, the, the, the connections that you have made in our community and your staff are much appreciated. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thanks for the great work you do. Thanks. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Sujata Srinivasan produced today's show. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow.